Welcome to The Light Pod. I'm your host, Sam Corbel. And today, we're in Denver, Colorado with Rachel Fitzgerald, who's a senior associate at Stantec and the discipline lead for lighting in all of North America. Rachel has nearly 15 years of experience as an architectural lighting designer and is a graduate from the University of Colorado's lighting program. Please join me in welcoming Rachel to the podcast. What's going on, Rachel? Not much. Happy to be here. Happy Monday. This is a great way to take a nice break and just sit back, relax, and talk about what you love to do, isn't it? It is. Good excuse to talk about fun things. I love it. Tell me a little bit about what you're passionate about and how you got your start in lighting. I am a lighting geek, self-proclaimed. There's a number of us out there, but... I'll fit myself into that category. Uh, how did I get my start? Oh, you want to go back in time? So I want to- Wait, wanted... wait, wait. Back to the future back in time or no, just like back in time? Reverse. Okay. Back in time. Sure. So I wanted to go to school to be an architect, but my engineering dad wanted me to go to school for engineering. So what I do? Architectural engineering, best of both worlds. Had some kick-ass professors at CU Boulder and fell in love with lighting. The rest is history. Who are your professors up in uh, Boulder? Bob Davis and David Delora. Yeah, they're pretty legendary, aren't they? Did you have a favorite between the two of them or just, you know, yin and yang? Yin and yang. They're very different and focus on very different aspects, but both have their value for sure. And, you know, I'm sure that they were happy to have you as a student. I got to know them a little bit, but unfortunately they decided that professional sector was a little bit more important than uh, academia by the time I got there. That's because you were a rebellious bunch. Ah, yes, of course. I think they call us millennials. Is that right? That might be it. Are you a millennial? No. No, you're not. You are Gen X. Because that sounds so much cooler. Gen X. Gen X. All right, Rachel from Gen X. Help me define what a circadian system is. All right, so I feel like there's a million different definitions and interpretations, but my interpretation is that it's a system that has the ability to emulate and allow your body to replicate a normal sleep-wake cycle. So it's where you produce melatonin at night, you produce serotonin during the day, so you're awake and alert during the day, and you get good quality sleep at night. They're kind of an inverse proportional relation to each other. And in that sense, they don't necessarily work against each other. They work hand in hand and your body kind of says, we got to go one way or we got to go another way. Completely work hand in hand. Again, kind of in an inverse. So you can't have one without the other. They work in opposites of sorts, but that essentially you need them to maintain that opposite relationship throughout more or less a 24 hour cycle so that our body can maintain all of its operating system. When your circadian system gets out of whack, you can have high incidences for depression. It can control your endocrine systems, your immune systems, your endorphins, all these other bodily systems that are related to our sleep patterns, but also that all relates back to that relationship of that circadian of that positive wake time and that positive sleep time. And just so we're clear, uh, circadian systems are something that I think have been more of a buzz in architecture and definitely in architectural lighting over the last decade. But this isn't something that's new. It's been around since basically the beginning of mankind. I like to think of it as, you know, back to the caveman days. Yeah, Um, it is. It's like we go back to the paleolithic lifestyle 
where you lived more outside. You weren't in these built environments in the building all day where you're shielded from natural daylight. And we've evolved in a great way. You know, we're not getting sun cancer because we're not outside all day. We've got shelter, we've got heat, we've got warmth. We've got all these really great things that the built environment offers us. But it's really messed up that innate system of being out in, you know, the bright blue sky, sunny days, and then being in your, you know, dark cave with no overhead lights and all that. Whereas now we're surrounded by lights inside, but not the intensity of the sun. We're surrounded with devices in front of our faces as we're trying to go to bed between our TV screens and our phones and our tablets. So we're messing with a lot of that natural cycle of sleep and wake and the relationship that light has with that. How does light affect your circadian system? Or maybe I should ask, how does it play into it? A lot of it goes back to some of the more recent research over, I think it's been the last 10, 15 years. The understanding of the IPRGCs, the intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. Wow, you said it. Did I get that right? You said it on the first go. That's amazing. Um, But that really, they're non-vision forming photoreceptors. And they're responsible for regulating that circadian system. And again, it's kind of the, we need the peak blue light, high, really intense amounts of light during the day to stimulate cortisol production, serotonin, uh, to be alert, to be cognitive, functioning. But then at night, you really want that to go away. You don't want those high peak, high light level intensity blue lights. You want lower intensity lights that are lower on the horizon, softer, think campfire, if we go back to the Paleolithic games. And that allows our system to then unwind, kind of get ready for nighttime, get ready for sleep, start to produce melatonin. And really sleeping in the darkest environment possible is best. Um, I think there's some studies that say even those, I'm dating myself, but the flashing VCR light in your room and having some of those bright lights that can disturb your sleep can be a bad thing. We need the blue light. It's really good during the day. So you have to have both. It's just when you have them and how much of them you have. And when you say blue light, what do you mean by blue light? Oh, so going back to, I feel like I need graphs and charts. So the spectral power distribution of lights and within that visual wavelength spectrum, um, there's a peak in kind of the blue cyan, I want to say 480 nanometers, somewhere in that range, that is really that peak blue that stimulates that daytime awake alert function that, again, gives us visual acuity at high light levels. It suppresses melatonin, whereas at night, it's a bad thing because it suppresses melatonin. So blue light really is, it's a its a wavelength, it's a specific blue light. It's its not the blue light that we look up when we look up into the sky. When we look up into the sky, it's all the light, right? It's full spectrum light. Right. It's full spectrum light. We're not talking about being blasted with blue colored light. We're talking about white light that's in that blue spectrum of the visible wavelength. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that's important to define. And for those people out there that are listening that may not be super familiar with what we mean when we say blue light, all those wavelengths of light come together to create what we call white light or full spectrum light, or basically the easy way to put it, sunlight. And so I'm getting a bad visual now of people who are like thinking they have to go into an office and be surrounded by bright blue yeah, definitely, definitely don't, That's not definitely don't do that. It's full spectrum. Think sunlight. Sunlight has really high peak blue, but it's full spectrum. So we see all colors and it renders all of what we characterize in white light. There's no doubt that electric lighting has come on the scene with the fact that we all sit in buildings every day and lighting design is a very important part of that. But now there's this big buzz around circadian lighting and how lighting actually affects our health and and what blue light means. When did you first hear about circadian lighting and why do you think that came about? 
It's definitely a huge buzz. And again, I feel like I'm dating myself, but you know, you go back 10, 15 years ago and our industry was really turning the corner into sustainability and green building. So it was all about lead and designing for the environment and what was better for the earth. In the last, I don't know, two to five years, there's been a shift and it's not that we've stopped focusing on the sustainability, but now we're starting to look more about wellness and what is the built environment, these buildings, these places that we create and that we live in and spend most of our days in. What does that do to us as people, as the occupants of those buildings? And how can we create these places to be better for us? So not only better for the environment, but better for us. And through all of that, kind of coincides with some of you know the IPRGCs we mentioned earlier, were discovered 10, 15 years ago, but that research has been unfolding more so, I think, in the past, you know, five to 10 years as far as mainstream industry knowledge of it. And so in the past couple of years, there's been a lot of buzz about circadian, about how do we design healthy, good spaces and what is healthy, good lighting? What does that look like? And with some of that research, and I'm not a researcher or a medical professional, but there's a bunch of great studies out there by researchers and medical professionals that are correlating lighting and disruption to circadian systems and creating correlations to what is good or what is bad and how that affects our bodies and how that affects the cases we create. So the awareness has started to be for us and part of how I like to look at it is if the baseline is what the baseline is today, which is, you know, a static LED lighting system, you know, it's energy efficient, you've got good quality light, how do we make that better? How do we evolve that to be healthier and better both for us and for the environment? Uh, and I think that's the big question that Circadian's getting at is can we make better places for people. But that has a lot of connotations because what's better for you might be different than what's better for me. I might come into work at 6 a.m. and go out for a run and be outside and get lots of daytime during the day. You may come into work at nine o'clock. Um, so we all have different, same with sleep-wake schedules. We may have totally different patterns of how we live our life. So your needs and timing for your lighting might be different than what I need. So the challenge for us as designers is how do we create these holistic spaces that work well for everybody, but that try to be cognizant of what we're learning about circadian. I want to talk more about what it means to design with the circadian space, but you mentioned you are a designer and there's a lot of lighting designers out there. You're not medical professionals and you're certainly not the research group. So how are you taking all this in right now? How, how did you learn about it? How are you learning about it? Walk me through real time what's, what's happening. I think it's a lot of information out there to absorb. There's tons of white papers, there's tons of research papers, um, and it's a lot to take in. But I think by continuing to have a dialogue, continuing to listen to manufacturers, listen to AIA sessions, being inquisitive, asking questions, going to conferences and hearing what people have to say, there's tons of places out there to get information, but you also have to be cautious of what's scientific-based information and what's marketing-based and kind of read through what's a sales pitch or what's to somebody else's benefit versus what's um, really factual in all of that data, but trying to understand what all that means. And it's like the wild, wild west, and we all have to use each other for information. So it's a bunch of working with colleagues and picking people's brains and understanding what they're doing and what have they seen and what what research have you seen and um, really trying to gather as much information as we can. But it's interesting because, you know, the well-building standard and some of these are saying, okay, design to equivalent melanopic lux or circadian stimulus. And 
get these certain, um, hit these metrics and you're designing a, you know, healthy lighting system. But those are metrics. And what I'm hearing from you is metrics may not be the best thing right now. It's, it's more, we've got to think about this. We've got to break it down and you've got to trust your community and, and let it evolve. Yeah. And I think that's the question and the struggle is I'm not going to any clients and saying, Hey, I can install a circadian lighting system because it's healthier for your occupants. I can't substantiate that. Can anyone? I think there are some people who are willing to walk that line, but I think there's a line there of, you know, if we say it's going to be healthier and then in five years, they have occupants coming down with like massive cases of cancer or depression or something and want to say, "Ooh, the lights are the problem because, oh, we've learned these other things since then. You know, I don't want to be responsible for the weight of, hey, we've made, we're making people healthier. But I do want to evolve the baseline and do the best we can with the knowledge we have today and the tools we have today to try to provide systems that are better than what we used to provide because we know more than we used to know. Well, I tell you what, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about using the tools that you have and implementing what you can and who's asking for it. And just a little bit about where this really is potentially all headed in the future. Sounds good. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick. The Light Pod is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment. They bring you stories about lighting, the people in it, the products, manufacturers, and even projects in features like living legends, Howard Branston. Be sure to check them out at lytei.com. And welcome back to The Light Pod. We're sitting here with Rachel, and over the break, I was just chatting with her a little bit about how there's a lot of manufacturers out there, and there's a wide variety of products and offerings. Rachel, talk to me just a little bit about what solutions or touted solutions seem to be on the marketplace for this and where they may have a place or maybe not. Well, that's kind of a complicated question. Let's back that up just a little bit. So I think part of it comes down to, we mentioned it briefly earlier, but what about the metrics? Like, how do we measure this thing? And there isn't a decided answer to that within our industry. So there's several entities that have developed several platforms. You've got EML for Equivalent Melanopic Lux. We've got Circadian Stimulus by Lighting Research Center. And there's some other players out there as well, but there isn't a determined metric. So in part, how do we design to something if we don't have an industry standard agreed upon metric for what it is? So that's the first question. But then if we back that up to kind of manufacturers and products and what's out there, there's a couple of manufacturers that I think have really gone above kind of the average in doing research on circadian and stimulus and light and blue light, red light, all these different things. And are they doing that research in conjunction with a research lab? Or are they doing it themselves? Uh, some are independent. Some are tied to other research entities. Um, and some of it's related to they're trying to sell product. But that said, you know, some of them I think are doing really advanced things to evaluate the true SPD, so the spectral power distribution, to really understand how to optimize the blue light and elimination of the blue light so that you can use it at the different times of day to replicate the stimulus you want or don't want. But at the same time, there's a bunch of manufacturers that are providing, you know, what they're claiming as tunable spectrum or tunable CCT or dynamic lighting or bio centric lighting. There's tons of coined phrases for it, but it's kind of hard to tell what a lot of them mean. A lot of them are kind of just shifting CCT and perception of what the light looks like. Some are truly shifting the spectral power distribution curve, but not as many. Just so we're clear, 
The difference between shifting the CCT and actually shifting the SPD is something that I think maybe just needs a little bit of attention here real quick. CCT is what we perceive, but the spectral power distribution or the makeup of the different wavelengths of light can actually be different, but the CCT can look the same still, correct? Correct. So it's important that it's not just a visual thing, but there's data to back up that. How do you get that data? There's spectrometers that can measure that information, which are really fun to geek out with. Um, But manufacturers should be providing SPDs. um, And that's one of the things that's complicated. Some manufacturers are providing select SPDs only at a few key CCT color temperatures. Some are just hard to get a hold of. Some will just give you a PDF. Some will give you so many Excel files you don't know what to do with them. And so that's something that's part of the complication is that data is immense. Um, and figuring out what to do with it as a designer and then how do you plug it into some metric and actually know what you're getting as results and then ooh, take it a step further and what happens if you've got orange walls what happens if you have you know a gray wall and is it a green gray is it a blue gray what color gray is it and then you get the spectral reflectance and how that's affecting the spd once it actually hits your eye so it gets really complicated and as designers I don't feel like I have the tools to calculate, go through a simulation and be able to say, yes, here client, I've designed to meet this metric and therefore your space will be healthier. I don't feel like I have those tools today. I have a lot more tools today than I had a couple years ago. Which is awesome. Which is fantastic. And I love seeing the progression of it because all of this is really great and it's progressing us forward. It's just still an evolution in my mind. Something out there is pushing tunable white to standards and metrics, but you're kind of telling me maybe we should have a standard and a metric to publish the data that we just even need to assess to figure out how to make make this happen. Yep. Is anything being done to, to standardize on things like that? There are things being done. Um, I'm probably not the most technical person to explain all of that, but I know that the IES is working on things. I know that the IELD is working in conjunction. I mean, they don't typically set standards, but they're working with others and watching the development of all of this. You've got research entities, PNNL, you've got the LRC, you've got... So you have all kinds of different groups that are working on this that are advancing it, um, which is fantastic. It's just still an evolution. Who's asking for this? Where, where, where's it all coming from? Who wants tunable white lighting? That's a good question because I haven't encountered a single client that I've walked into a room with that says, hey, I want tunable lighting. Hey, I want circadian lighting. You've probably worked on more than 100 projects. Maybe you've worked on over 1,000 projects at this point. The, the term circadian lighting has been around for a while. It's definitely hot and heavy with LED, and you haven't had a single client ask for it. So what's going on? And that's not entirely. I have clients that want to follow the well-building standard. I have clients who want to install dynamic lighting. Very rarely do I have a client that walks in that requests any of this. So I think it's a push. It's a push from industry because we're becoming more knowledgeable about it. So we're trying to improve the baseline on the level of product and delivery of what we're providing our clients. But it's also coming from manufacturers and the tools we have. So, you know. What about um, organizations outside of lighting that are maybe trying to get into our space? Do you feel like there's a rush for the lighting community to respond to those sorts of things, like with the the AMA? Oh, that's a whole other topic. Um, 
There are, and I think that's, I think one thing we are seeing is we're starting to see more um, joint partnerships between like the AMA and the IES um, and some of these research groups to bring together what the research and the medical fields are doing with the lighting and the science and the technology to try and figure out how to bring all of that together. Because at the moment, there's some big disconnects between what medical is learning, what medical is researching, what researchers are doing, and what manufacturers are trying to provide, which leaves designers in this lurch of, well, we don't know what the standard is. We don't know what to design. We don't know how to deliver that. But you do know how to design a quality lighting project. Based on the tools and information and metrics and knowledge that we have today, yes, we think we can design really fantastic lighting projects. And I guess I should just reiterate, lighting design is a profession. It's been around for 50 years. People acknowledge lighting designers and the fact that good lighting does make a difference. But that's all been done with static color up to this point, or static color temperature, I should say. Maybe you can share with us just a little bit about how it's kind of frustrating to be a lighting designer in a room right now when people think they know what's going on, but the answer is no, lighting's complicated. I think lighting's always been complicated, but it's getting more complicated. And I think a huge part of what my job is as a lighting designer is education. It's educating the rest of my design team. It's educating the contractors and the owner's rep and the clients on what's good lighting, what's bad lighting, how do we implement it, how do we have to interface with it, energy codes and how they're changing. We're constantly, I think, having to educate the value of what is good lighting. And the interpretation of anyone's definition of what good lighting is can change at any time because, again, we're constantly learning. Fluorescent systems that we designed 10 years ago, we thought were fantastic. And... They were at the time. If we installed that today, we'd be like, oh my God, that's horrible. Um, Relative to the knowledge and the tools we have today. So it's constantly evolving. And when it's constantly evolving, obviously you've got to continue to learn about what's going on in the industry, stay up with all the research and everything else. But at the same time, you also have to remind people that the role of a lighting designer is growing because the challenges in lighting are growing too. Yes, and I think the opportunities are great, and I think we have to constantly challenge the industry and push on manufacturers and push on the research industry. And one thought I constantly have is we're focusing so much on the medical, the tangible part of spectral power distributions that we can measure and the effect that has on our circadian system. But what about the perception? What's the value of, for example, having a workspace and having the intensity and the color temperature shift throughout the day and give a sense of passage of time, a sense of what's happening outdoors and a connection in a biophilic way? What's the value of that? Because I haven't seen much research, any research, related on how is the perception of having dynamic or tunable lighting affect us in a space. And I think that almost might be as powerful as the scientific part about how it affects our circadian rhythms. Who doesn't like to dim down the lights when they're at dinner and that just makes you feel better? Right. Where's the research behind that? But it's not as tangible. You can't you can't pull out a meter and measure it. And we're still having the issues of how do you measure the circadian and some of those. But I think there's a whole nother levels that that is the perception of 
providing lighting systems that are more dynamic and more, again, if you think back to some of the caveman stuff, that are more attuned to what we historically used to be exposed to throughout the course of a day. Really, that's that's what lighting design is. And I think it's important that we don't, as a group of lighting-specific people, get lost in the, the metrics, the science, the whiz-bang stuff behind it of, we know we can pump blue light into our eyes and it does this well who really cares if we don't like how the space feels right if you you know if you want to create an office with blue walls and blue lights great but i doubt you'll find many occupants that feel like it's a great productive space so how do you balance the perception of things with the science and the metrics everybody's perceptions are different but how do we create these systems that appeal to masses of people? So what advice do you have for people who have heard about circadian lighting or considering circadian lighting, don't know anything about circadian lighting or or know a lot and want to go full-fledged into a project? I think the first question is understanding why you think you want it. What do you want it for? Are you trying to improve health? Are you trying to improve energy and ambiance and create vibrant space. So I think step one is figuring out what you want to create with your space and then understanding what are the tools that we have to help achieve that. You know, dynamic systems by doing tunable white, tunable spectrum are available. There's still somewhat of a cost premium, but supply and demand, that cost premium is coming down every day. And so we have tons of tools to implement really cool things. But as a designer, I need to understand what it is you want to achieve, and then we can figure out how best we can deliver that with the tools and the metrics and the knowledge that we have at our fingertips today. It's definitely a topic that the more questions, the better. I think I would encourage clients and owners reps and all of the industry people to continue to challenge and ask the questions of, if you just wanna check a box on a well, building rating system, that's awesome because that's a huge step forward in evolving what we're delivering in our built environment. But let's evaluate that further and what are you trying to create in your space? And are you creating it in someone's home where they sleep? Do they work there? Is it a school? Is it an office? From a lighting and a circadian standpoint, what are you trying to achieve? Uh, Because somebody's workplace is a lot different than their sleep place. And how do you provide all of that potentially in one solution? Rachel, thanks so much. This has been an awesome conversation. I think that it's really fun to kind of recap everything that's going on. And it is, it is a little crazy right now in the industry, but what's important is that we remember this is design and questions have to be asked and everybody has to come to the table and people can't just go away and do their job and check the box. Circadian systems are something that humans have, but ultimately lighting may not need to play a part in that. There may be other ways to achieve it. It may not be something that needs to be the front runner right now. A good design is what really needs to come out of every project. Right. And that may or may not have a circadian component, may or may not have a tunable dynamic component, but what's right for one client might not be right for the best. So it's a constant questioning and understanding and evolution of the tools and the things we have to deliver at any given time as our industry continues to evolve. As you look forward uh, into 2020 and Let's just call it the next decade. Wow, we're, we're in the next decade. What's, uh, what's on your radar for this whole concept of circadian lighting and tunable white light systems and the well-building standard and how a lighting designer's role continues to evolve? I think it's a really exciting time. I think historically it has been and continues to be for lighting considering how 
quickly the technology and the tools and the chips and the drivers and the controls, how quickly everything's evolving. We, what we could do in five years, we may not even be able to, you know, tangibly think about today. Uh, so I think the evolution of the industry is fascinating. It's happening quickly. I think not only are there questions about health and well-being and circadian and perception of light, all these great things, but I also think there's questions about controls, IoT, PoE, personalized controls, apps, widgets, all this other stuff that as lighting designers, it's like, okay, where's the description of my job begin and end? Am I now a controls integrator? Am I now having to develop content and develop programming and develop all these other things beyond just selecting and designing and implementing great lights? There's a whole layer of technology that's starting to be involved that goes beyond just the light we see and how that creates space. So it'll also be interesting to see how that evolves and how the role or definition of a lighting designer does or doesn't evolve to include a lot more than what a lot of us traditionally think of as lighting design. Do you have a vision for what you'd like to see it become? Well, as with change, there's often fear. Um, So, I mean, it's intimidating to think about like with all the IoT and controls and some of that. I mean, we do really detailed control schematics and sequences of operations, and I think we're fairly advanced in what we do with our design control solutions. But wow, the information that's out there and where that could go with IoT and other data points is kind of overwhelming if that falls in our realm as lighting designer. But at the same time, there's a lot of really exciting, cool things about you know, learning more about spectrum and learning more about what we can do with LEDs to tune those spectrums, how we can start to use different form factors to integrate lighting into our buildings. There's a lot of really cool things. Even, you know, PoE, it kind of makes a lot of sense when you're moving to more and more drive for net zero energy and more DC photovoltaic systems and you've got these low voltage LED lights. There's there's a lot that makes sense with some of those types of systems and the implications on what we have to understand and how we have to implement those systems as lighting designers is going to be a unique challenge to figure out what all that means in our job description. What's funny is you by profession are a lighting designer. The word controls is not in there, but that's what 50% of your job today, maybe more and maybe less depends on the project. I think it's a huge part of it. I think to design a lighting system and not be responsible for how it functions and how people are supposed to interact with it is short-sighted. I think they're interwoven and to truly do the lighting design, you've got to take a certain amount of responsibility for how it functions, how it's controlled, how it's sequenced, how people interact with it. Even simple things like tuning and adjusting and trying to optimize so that we're not wasting light and so that we're tuning it to meet people's needs the best. We have a lot of ability with controls to really refine our lighting solutions. And so, yeah, it's a huge part of the job. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Sam. I want to wish you luck in 2020 as lighting and controls continue to barrel down the technology technology rabbit hole and things unfold. Do you have any final thoughts for everybody out there that's listening? Besides, of course, go Buffs. Well, of course, go Buffs. Uh, I just think it's exciting. I, Like I said, I kind of like to geek out on some of this. So I think all of that sounds massive to try and wrap our arms around, but yet it's exciting. It's good things. 
What's the best way people can find you if they have questions, they want to see some of your work? How can they get in touch with you? LinkedIn is an easy way, fairly findable on there. Uh, and then beyond that, you're always welcome to email me, although I have no idea how easy that is to find in the Stantec realm of our website. Um, but I know I, I'm somewhere findable in there. can certainly share my email address as well. And that's Rachel Fitzgerald, F-I-T-Z-G-E-R-A-L-D. Did I get it right? You got the spelling right. Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L dot Fitzgerald, as Sam spelled, at Stantech.com. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to Rachel directly. We'd love to have your comments on this podcast to know what you're excited about in terms of technology in 2020 and if circadian lighting is making an impact on your life or your design or heck, if it's making your life a living hell, let us know. Thanks for joining me on this episode of The Light Pod. And make sure to go back to your podcast app after this and hit that like, follow, or subscribe button. It's the best way to make sure that you never miss an episode of The Light Pod. I'm your host, Sam Corbel. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.